Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Preacher Lab. It is the week of Sunday, October 31st, Halloween Sunday, 2021. And I have the honor and the privilege of talking with Claire Chance, a good friend of mine, uh, about her preaching this week. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so much, Will. I'm glad to be with you. Well, Claire, I'll just start off by asking, uh, what are you preaching on this week? Uh, Where are you headed to? Okay. Well, this week we're having homecoming at Avondale, and we've invited folks who've moved away or have just been attending online to come home with us this Sunday. And that's kind of weird in the midst of a pandemic because there are some people who really don't want to be in a group. So what we are doing is we're Zooming the service as well as we do, or rather YouTubing, and we do that every week. But we're also offering in-person with people separated and everyone masked and all that stuff. And we've been getting a pretty good crowd doing that. Um, But we have more people online, oddly enough. So we're also offering an opportunity for people who are afraid to be indoors with other people. We're having a lunch on the grounds after our homecoming Sunday um, services. And that's going to be really fun. We're setting up tables all over the block and so that people can come. And we're providing the main dish. They bring side dishes and cakes because you're hardly a Methodist if you're not bringing a casserole, you know. (laughs) So. And so this week is also All Saints Sunday. And so we're combining the homecoming idea with All Saints Sunday. And my message is called Stepping Up. And it's based on the cloud of witnesses described in Hebrews 12. And the visual image that I'm using, because I always use a lot of visuals when I preach, it's based, um, it's based on the idea of standing on another person's shoulders, that someone else has helped you to get where you are. And I found this great photograph of a father standing on a beautiful beach with a six-year-old child standing on his shoulders. And they both have their arms outstretched. And it's so clear that the child is balancing on his father. And I feel that way about the people who've gone before us in this place. So that's very authentic to me. But the simple point, I always try to go for... One simple point that will be a takeaway for people that they may not remember all the nuances of a message, but they'll remember the main point. And the main point that I'm making with this is that when we focus our eyes on Jesus, we need to be clear we're standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us to build our faith. And they may be people we don't even know, but there are others who have built towards who we are becoming. So I'm introducing this concept by using a metaphor and a visual image of trailblazing and how we follow in the footsteps of those who had the courage to walk the trail before a trail was established and who kindly marked it for us to follow. I've got a really cool picture for that. And then after I've introduced this concept, we've got a little video clip. Um, That's just a few minutes of our pastor emeritus, the Reverend Dr. Lawrence Coles, who worships with us now, but who was the senior pastor here at Avondale in the 1980s. And he was also very active in the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. So he tells all about people who supported and guided and inspired him, both at Avondale and during the civil rights era. And then I come back live with a short message about what overcomes all the possible divisions in our community, kind of building on the civil rights concept and our focus on the love and teachings of Jesus, bringing us together, even when we seem different on the surface. And then I introduce a video of the Reverend Dr. Jen Stiles Williams, who served at Avondale in the late 90s and the early 2000s. 
And back then, it was a time of great change in that Jen was the youngest and the first female pastor to ever serve at Avondale. So that that in itself brought change. And she talks about the people who guided and supported her as she led the church in becoming open and welcoming to the LGBTQ community here. And it was the first church in Jacksonville to really be publicly reconciling. And that was a really cool thing. It's wonderful to hear her talk about it. And then I come back live and I talk about how personal this support and guidance is for the church and for the pastor and what it means to me. I talk about personal relationships and connections that are undergirded by both history and by the Holy Spirit. And then there's a little video of me remembering three couples who have since passed one who served in the church just tirelessly. Um, when he died, we had to find like 10 people to replace him. And one, who, one couple who served in missions around the world, and then one who, couple who served faithfully behind the scenes. Um, the, people won't know their names. You know, unless they were here at that time, they wouldn't know who they were. But they were also incredibly faithful servants and very dear to me. And all of these people were living out their Christian faith at Avondale in different ways. And that's the next point that I'm going to. I come back live to encourage the congregation to step up, to leave a legacy of their own faith that will mark a trail for those who will follow us. And again, emphasizing, we don't know who those people are. I mean, they may be children now. They may not even be born yet. But we want to be in prayer for them. We want to be thinking about them as we offer ourselves and our lives in this place. And the timing and the event led me to use Hebrews 12 and the great cloud of witnesses. Um, I usually do sermon series that I plan way in advance, but this one is a standalone. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There is a lot there. And that's how I, I'm excited just to, to watch it on Sunday and, and hear you. it. Thank you. Because there's a lot, oh gosh, there's a lot going on there. It sounds super exciting. So, so I guess the maybe the first question for context to help help me out. Um, have you all done homecoming regularly? Is that an annual thing? It's something they did many years ago, which again is sort of pulling back to history yeah. to build something new. And um, so I haven't done it since I've been here, and I've been here since 2013. But it just seemed to be a wonderful time to sort of invite people back who've been afraid to come back in person. And so we did a special mailing in advance of it. I'm um, going to get on the phone this afternoon and tomorrow afternoon calling all the families because we found parents and children have not brought their children back the way that they were before. And so we're going to contact each of those families and just personally invite them to come to homecoming. Yeah, that's beautiful of, you know, trying help inviting people into this party to be a part of the saint, the, the cloud of witnesses, both past, present, and future, and doing it via homecoming. Those two, I, those two things just, they go together so well, Claire. It kind of reminds me of the stories of Ethiopian um, communion services. And in Ethiopia, you know how people think of heaven as being something that is very rare, that very valuable because it's scarce here. So that's why people came up with the sort of streets of gold and the jewels and all that stuff. But in Ethiopia, 
food is scarce. And so their image of heaven is that you come upon these two great wooden doors after you die. And the doors open up to you and you see this huge long table that's overflowing with all your favorite foods and drinks. And all the people who you loved who've died before you are standing around this table. And when you come in, they all start to sing, welcome. We've missed you so much. We're so glad to see you. And you sit down and you share this sumptuous feast together. And that's kind of how I'm hoping this will feel. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if it will or not, but that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Oh. Sliced ham and turkey. Okay, we'll try. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. What a great image. I've never heard that before. Oh, I love uh, that image. Oh, I, I'm stealing that. Um, Absolutely. And, and the person who told me about it told me that that's why Ethiopians dance when they take communion, because it's of a taste of the feast to come is what they told me. Wow. Oh, how beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful. Oh gosh. Okay. So we have, we have homecoming and that's kind of the larger context and the framework. And we're going to be talking about the great cloud of witnesses. I think it's just, when I think about the service as a whole, I I think it's beautiful that you have these two prior pastors that's coming to to that are speaking is it are they live or are they recorded no they're all recorded it will be part of my sermon and the ending of the sermon after i make the point that you know this is this big opportunity for all of us to step into the void and to build new things that other people will build upon later um my um music minister is singing a solo of help us to be faithful And it's a really great song that talks about people having helped us to be faithful. Now, God, help us to be faithful for others who will follow. So it's it's all coming together. But, you know, that sort of cohesive approach to the the worship service with the children's minister sort of setting up the concept with his children's moment and the scripture being read and everything sort of leading up to this crescendo of will you really understand the key message? Um, that is not something I do alone at all. Um, it is a team effort by far, especially with my super creative music minister, who's just wonderful. And the whole staff participates in planning for the service. Um, but that means that I have to do my part of it way in advance mm-hmm. because I see a part of my calling is to help other people fulfill their calling. So in order for the music minister and the children's minister and youth minister and the other people who are part of the support team, for them to do their job well, they have to know where we're going way in advance. So I used to set aside a week in the summer to plan for a whole year of sermon series and then, you know, attach scriptures to it and have by the beginning of fall or beginning of August, really, have everything set out for the whole year so that people could do their planning. And that's what makes something like this rich, because there was a lot of work that went into this service that I didn't do, that um, our music minister did, that our children's minister did, laying the groundwork so that it came together cohesively, or I hope it will come together cohesively. But, um, but they've done a wonderful job. And the videos are really cool. And I had nothing to do with that except recording a piece of it, you know. Um, But in order to do that, as I say, I've always done it a year at a time. And I do that separately and then bring it together to the team and we massage it together um, so that they have a track to run on for the year. But with the pandemic, 
doggone it, you never knew what was coming next, you know? Mm -hmm. So I still did it, but I did it in six month increments instead of a whole year at a time. So right now I'm planning the second or the first half of 2022 because I had planned through the holiday season. And now I've just I've just planned out my sermon series. I'm starting to attach scriptures to the different weeks so that the the team can plan as well. Oh, that's so you've got so you've got six months planned out. When when do you bring that to the team and what does that what does that time look like? Oh, cool. Yeah, we have a weekly staff meeting and we're really blessed. We have three leaders who are lay leaders in our church. One is the lay leader. The other two are the head of staff parish and the head of our leadership team. And they are all three retired. And as a result, they can get together with us on our um, staff meeting that we do every Wednesday. And that has been a great gift. We have the whole team together for at least an hour every Wednesday. And one of those Wednesdays, I bring the outline and I email it to them in advance so that they can think about it, pray about it. And then when we get together, we just work our way through and I kind of give them my mindset about each of the sermon series. And I'm not ashamed to say I borrow sermon series ideas from other churches, Church of the Resurrection, um, St. Andrews in Denver, Colorado, churches that are fairly progressive and that um, would have a similar theological mindset to our church. And they give me great ideas because they've got super teams. So a lot, and I also will go on Facebook on the clergy women's site for the United Methodist and ask my clergy sisters, what idea do you have about such and such that I'm trying to do with my congregation? And they'll give me all kinds of ideas. So I'm not coming up with this all by myself. Some of them I do invent, but others, I use others' great ideas. I never just like lift a sermon. In fact, I won't listen to someone else's sermon. I want to build my own. Mm-hmm. But just the idea of the series I'll get from someone else sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's a great way to, feels like it's a really enriching way to do it because it's not just, and it ties into the sermon, it's not just you. There's a cloud of witnesses that surround you. Uh, whether it be, you know, desert fathers and mothers from the early years to others that are across the nation, across the world that kind of play in to your vision of where you want to go with a sermon or where you want to go with a worship service. Because it seems like your focus is on the worship service and then you can craft a sermon around that. That's exactly it. Then, then after everyone else has had a chance to feed into it, and we've talked about all these different ideas, and they've given me ideas for dramas. I write a lot of dramas and monologues. They give me all kinds of ideas of different things, and some of them are ideas that they will live out, you know, like a video or whatever. Um, but we kind of put our, our minds together. And again, I've created people on my team who send me stuff through the week as we're approaching um, a new sermon or a new sermon series, and they'll say, oh, I just saw this and you might want to look at it too. So by the time I finish a message, I feel like it's been kind of a joint effort. You know what I mean? Yeah. I certainly do the study part. I mean, at the beginning of the week on Tuesday, I'm I'm reading and praying over that scripture a lot. And then I go on to commentaries and, and read about the different nuances of the language and all of those sorts of, you know, basic things that we were taught to do in seminary. But I rarely describe that part. Mm-hmm. That to me is sort of the Debbie McLeod once told me it's it's the skeleton of the sermon. And you're covering it with the muscle and the skin. 
And sometimes if I find something interesting, you know, like a little tidbit of information that's weird or something, then yeah, I'll share that stuff that I studied. Or sometimes I'll share a map or something like that. But a lot of times I'm just getting a feel for what was really going on in the scripture and looking for that one point that I feel is particularly relevant for this population right now in yeah. life application. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like it's not, it's, it's those commentaries and exegesis and the things that you're working on in combination with all of those people that you've met with those, that weekly staff meeting that you might have talked about the sermon two or three times already with them. And if everybody's like, yeah, that's the point that, that, that this, the church needs, that's the point that, that really sticks out. Then it sounds like that's the point that you kind of go with. Absolutely. We, we have kind of a saying in our midst that it's, it's weird when we're all praying about something and all of a sudden, several of us have the exact same idea. That's not the Twilight Zone theme. That's God at work, you know, giving us different kinds of inspiration. And that's really, really fulfilling. It makes my job so incredibly satisfying to feel as though I'm part of a team that's listening to God. And there's a reason why we have staff meetings on Wednesday, so that they feed into my active sermon writing. I mean, I may have done an outline at this point, or I may have just started it, or I have ideas on where I'm going, but I haven't finished it yet. Yeah. And sometimes they bring something so cool to the table. So I, I just, I love these people. I'm so grateful to work with them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I have a, the opposite type of question. Has there ever been a moment in which you wanted to preach on something you felt spirit was leading you, but then two or three people in that group were like, no, that maybe that's not the way to go. Um, maybe, and, and maybe it was a hard topic you wanted to preach on, but they said, maybe the congregation isn't ready for that or, or, they were upset that you were thinking about it. Has that ever happened or what what was that? To be honest with you, no. That has happened on programs, you know, that we were trying to plan. That has happened with that, where I thought something was a great idea and two or three people said, no, here's why it's not. And and listen, I listen to that. I care about what they think. But I've never had a time where the Holy Spirit, I felt, was leading me in a direction and they didn't. And maybe that's just because it's real. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it really was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know, but that's never happened. We've, okay. we've never argued about the direction of a sermon. Okay. Um, they basically add on. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's such a different, different way of doing it. Cause sometimes you, I've heard people do it as individuals and they go away and do the sermon and then just prepare it. And that's their thing. I've heard, I hear you doing it in a team atmosphere almost. Um, I've heard people have different preachers all work on it together. And then mm-hmm. that sermon is what each preacher preaches on if they have multi-site. Uh, uh-huh. So it's just interesting that just the different ways in which we write sermons and and who we include and, and how we get the different voices involved. And I think a lot of that is stylistic. Um, all my life, I've been a very verbal person. And when I've written, I've always written the way that I speak, you know, so, so like I I might have a sentence fragment in something that I'm writing, but I'm doing it on purpose. I'm making an oral point and I'm drawing attention to it in a certain way. Um, And so for me, it really helps to talk through ideas that I have about a sermon. It helps to formulate them in my mind. And when I actually sit down to write, man, I just sit down and write. I used to do very complicated outlines and then write a manuscript from that 
I don't do that anymore. I get that fixed idea that I want to make sure I'm going to get across. And that needs to be something simple enough that someone could explain it in one or two sentences very easily and a 12-year-old could explain it. But then I want depth and richness to the sermon itself that might take them to a deeper level but they still are going to remember that main idea. That That's where I'm coming from. And for me, talking about it with people before I actually do the final writing is very helpful. So, so you you kind of have smaller conversations before you actually, I'm guessing you, you write a whole manuscript when you preach? Yes. And, and you know what? Here's the thing. I actually preach much better when I don't use a manuscript, when I use an outline. I'm much more comfortable with that, and it's more authentic, and I make more eye contact. Having a manuscript in front of you, there's going to be times you're going to read. You just mm-hmm. can't help it. It's there, and you're going to do it. And um, and I don't have the best memory, so it's not like I could memorize a manuscript. But my problem is, especially now with um, having an internet congregation as well as an in-person congregation, and that that internet congregation has become very rich for us because we are open and affirming of LGBTQ folk. And there are people all over the country who live in places where that's not available to them in the Christian church. And so they tune in online. And and so we really want to serve them well. They need the church. They need our church, I feel. So anyway, my point being, well, wait a minute, what was my point? Oh, I know that, that I really preach better from an outline, but in order to have the visuals that I need to maintain interest with somebody who's just watching a screen, you can't just have a talking head. Mm-hmm. It'll, it gets boring. And so I'll have um, a camera inset and a visual to the side, or I'll have a visual for the whole thing for a map. And I'll say, see up there where you see Corinth, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And that breaks it up and makes it more visually appealing. And in order for me to do that, I need my tech team to be able to change the slides for me. I've tried using an air mouse and doing it from a distance, but there's such a distance between the front of our chancel and the um, place where the computers are. It doesn't work well. I have technological problems. Plus, I found it hugely distracting for me. I would forget to change a slide, that kind of thing. If I have a manuscript with the slide changes clearly marked in it in red, then I have a team that follows right along with me and does it. And it doesn't mean I don't go off script because I do. I'll have a time where I'm saying, you know what I'm talking about here? And I'll give another description. And do you feel that way too? Can I get an amen? You know, that kind of thing. But most of it, I'm really following the manuscript carefully. And that means that there are times where, especially if I haven't practiced enough, I'll read a little too much. And I I don't like it when that happens. I, I really work at having eye contact almost all the time. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so you've tried different ways. Then you've tried the manuscript. You've tried the bullet points, and you've found that manuscript has just been the most helpful part for you. If you're doing visuals too, yeah, and you need someone else's help, you've got to have a track for them to run on. Yeah. So yeah. So I've come back to the manuscript, but when I was just doing a, an in-person service, I found using bullet points on an outline was much more effective for me. Yeah. Um, I remembered what I had written. I'd write the a manuscript first and then make an, an outline from it. And the outline was enough to remind me of what I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay. So we have Tuesday, you kind of sit and pray and read the text. I mean, you've already done work of previous weeks on the right. sermon, but you do the kind of that weekly thing of Tuesday, pray over it. 
or Wednesday, have a conversation, one more conversation with your team, uh, laity and staff. Yes. Thir- so Thursday, you write the manuscript. Thursday, I, I do a first pass. Okay. And Friday is my real writing day. I have a life group on Thursday nights. So Thursdays, I might not even get half of it done. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting a good start on it. I'm pulling out a few illustrations that I might want to use, looking up stories, um, reading articles in magazines and newspapers that might be relevant, that kind of thing, where I'm sort of pulling pieces together. Friday's the day that's set aside for me to actually write the whole thing. Okay. So I take whatever I've got at that point and I try hard to finish it on Friday. Sometimes it lapses over into Saturday morning, but I need to have sent my slides, my sermon slides to my music minister by like 10 o'clock on Saturday morning so that he can input them on the computer. Okay. So then, so then Saturday you've worked on it and it's, it's a full manuscript. Then what happens? How do you, how do you get it from the paper into your kind of head? In your heart. Well, I practice it. Um, and I, I sometimes read it aloud with my husband, who's a retired pastor, and he's always got great critiques. And that's really helpful. And I can still make changes to my manuscript right up until I'm going in to preach on Sunday morning, because mm-hmm. the slides are already done. I've got a basic track for the tech team to follow. So if I want to change some words or move something around a little bit, I can still, I'm still free to do that. And I have had times where I actually step into the, well, we don't use a pulpit, but I step up to speak and I do something different than I planned. And um, that happens very occasionally, not often, but when I really feel a spirit leading to do something different. For instance, can I give you a for instance? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I was preaching one time about um, some of Paul's letters and I was preaching specifically about where he talked about the list of sins. I, I can't remember the exact um, verses and stuff, but you know what I'm talking about, where he's talking about fornication. Yeah, and, yeah. Gossip, and he says, and um, laying with someone of the same sex, he talks about that. And I was, I was going through and just basically making the point that, hey, you're on this list. <laughs> just know <laughs> you are on this list. I am on this list for sure. There are things we all do on this list. So don't highlight one sin at the expense of the other, you know, understand that, that what he's saying is we're all sinners. Um, and all of a sudden it hit me to talk about the language, which I had studied before about language, about laying down with someone of the same sex and what that really meant in biblical times and how it was clearly pointing at wealthy men who bought teenage sex slaves back in biblical times, which was a common practice. And they were often people of the same gender. So they were boys that were being purchased for sexual purposes. And it also was a verb that was used to describe military men who in those days when they were in the military, they would go away for 10 years at the time at their prime of their physicality um, in their 20s, you know, and they'd be gone all that time. They didn't get to come home on leave and stuff. And so some of them had sex with each other. And Paul was saying that's giving in to a wrong desire. You know, mm-hmm. Paul had no clue about people of the same gender who loved each other genuinely and were monogamous with each other and had committed relationships. He had no idea. Well, I ended up giving that little talk that I just gave you in the middle of the sermon when I had totally not planned to do that. And on Tuesday of that next week, I got a call from a man who I had not known 
who was sitting in the congregation that Sunday, who just happened on our church for the first time ever, walking around the neighborhood and came in and heard that message. And he's crying on the telephone, telling me that he had he had been in prison and he had been told by um, an Assemblies of God um, group of pastors who came to preach and God bless them for coming to preach in the prison. So don't think I'm trying to be mean to them or anything. But they had referred to all homosexuals as monsters that God hates. And this man was a gay man. And he was weeping, telling me this story. And he said, ever since then, I thought God hated me. But from what you said, I don't think God does. And I really can't help how I'm made. I have always been this way, and I can't change it. And so I felt like there was no hope for me with God. We ended up having this wonderful conversation about the love of God, and it was totally, I know in my heart that it was a Holy Spirit thing that I got led off the path that I totally didn't mean to do, but was really important for this man. And I think if you're open to it, the Spirit will do that sometimes, not all the time, you better do your homework. Don't just get up in the yeah. in the pulpit and say, I hope the Spirit leads me. <laughs> but sometimes you suddenly feel moved or you look out and see someone crying or something, and you know there's something going on that you have to speak to. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's beautiful. And and the re- yeah, the reason that you were able to do that is because you had done your homework and you knew exactly where you were going. And I think when you have that tide of a manuscript or have that tide of, of, I know exactly what A and B and C and D is. If you veer from D to E, you know, okay, I can go back to E, but you have this, this tide of a script and this tide of, of a sermon that you've done all of this work, not just the one week, but two and three weeks ahead of time. It gives you that freedom and that leeway of allowing the spirit to speak. And I mean, imagine not doing that. And yes, I mean, yeah. You'd, yeah. thought, you'd be bursting. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And there's something that spirit was laying on your heart and, and using your work that you had done Tuesday and Wednesday on the exegesis pieces of this. Of, okay. I've looked and know about the, about the Roman soldiers in the history. I've, I've looked about the slave trade and, and all of those things kind of shaped your sermon, even though you weren't going to include that to begin with, that was the skeleton kind of popping out. Exactly. Exactly. It's like a compound fracture. That bone just sticks on out there. <laughs> oh, that is that is such a great story. But that has happened to me a number of times. I mean, it's not it's not rare, but it's also not every week. And I certainly don't count on it. I mean, I I do have a finished manuscript when I am getting up to preach. But you just never know. And somebody can touch your heart. You'll look out and see a, a child doing something. One, one Christmas Eve, I was preaching and um, I, I was, I had done something where the kids had to come forward. We had a puppet show as part of our family Christmas Eve service and the kids all came forward. And when I planned this service, I thought they would all go back and be with their parents for the rest of Christmas Eve, which to me seemed like an excellent idea. <laughs> but once they came down to the front, they didn't go back and you can't look at them and go, go back to your seats. You know, I mean, it's Christmas, right? You're supposed to love your kids, right? So they stayed 
And um, and they were under my feet the whole time I was preaching. And there was one little girl, her name's Molly. She's so, she's now a teenager, but she was so cute. Oh my gosh. And when she finally went back to her seat, she was so happy to see her parents that she did a handstand on the pew. And as I'm walking by, I see these two little legs <laughs> in the air out of my peripheral vision. And I said, you know, Christmas is so joyful. Look at Molly's joy. <laughs> Completely up. <laughs> but it was great. It, that's real. And I, I just don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be sanctimonious, holier than thou kind of stuff. It's just not who I am. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, you have this gift, I guess, to to feel the congregation and to feel what's happening in the room and allow the spirit to move in these unplanned, unorthodox ways. And you're like, okay, yeah, we're going to go that way. There, there's, there's a little girl doing a handstand. That's fantastic. What else would you want to do? <laughs> it's funny. My husband is much more of a planner and a, a more professorial preacher. He's a great preacher, but a much more of a teaching preacher than I am. And I do change things up sometimes. And it makes him crazy because he likes things to stick between the lines. And, and I'm all over the place. But um, but I don't think I'm disorganized. There's a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a plan and we're, we're going to get from point A to point Z eventually. But, um, but sometimes it's a meandering route. And I, I have to say, I enjoy it so much. But what you were saying about reacting to the congregation, um, my preaching now is much more interactive than it used to be, but it has always, always felt different than public speaking. I I came from um, a corporate job and I did a lot of public speaking in my work over the years before I became a pastor. And the first time I ever stepped into a pulpit, I was absolutely amazed at how different it felt. I didn't have any butterflies and and, and I always enjoyed public speaking, but, um, but butterflies are normal. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have any butterflies and it felt as though I was speaking one-on-one with every person who was there one-on-one. It feels very personal to me. And that's what, it was part of the confirmation of my calling that, that this was a direction that I felt pulled in my life. Oh gosh. That, that is a whole nother podcast. We should probably have a conversation <laughs> about that. Cause I have never, you know, I, I, I've never really thought of anything like the, the, the distinction between preaching and public speaking and the difference and there's a huge difference but it's huge you articulating it uh, there's gosh there's there's a lot there well we are all talking about what is deepest within us aren't we i mean this is not just your emotions this is your soul this is your deepest faith that you're sharing with another person and that they're sharing back with you i mean stopping every now and then and saying have you ever felt this way Am I the only one here? Yeah. And having people go, no, it's me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that to me is part of what makes it real and, and keeps it from just being, you know, I'm entertaining a group of people. Yeah. You're not, you're, yeah, you're not selling, you're not selling anything. Uh, no. Yeah. You're not, you're not just giving information. It's, uh, this is my, my experience with God and what I've seen and what people have shared with me. And I'm sharing that with you and, and hopefully you get to experience some of that with me. And you're creating this kind of corporate experience of God and worshiping God. And it's what makes worship so rich for me. I just love that feeling of God has shown up and is, is connecting us. You know, yeah. I feel it when we sing. I feel it when we pray. And most of the time, I'm really feeling it when I'm preaching. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I don't know if that's different from other people or not. I just know that's my experience. And I'm not saying I'm such a great preacher or anything. I've, I've heard great preachers before, and I'm not a great preacher. But I'm a loving preacher, and I really love doing it. Yeah. I, well, I've listened to a few of your sermons recently, and I would say you're a great preacher. Oh, You're yeah, a great yeah, preacher sure. and, and a great storyteller. Um, well, the, the check's in the mail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Claire, I got. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for for? I know we've covered a lot of ground, but do you have any final thoughts for yeah. those preachers who are listening? Yeah, I do have one thing that's been really meaningful to us, in that it uh, we're a progressive congregation in a lot of ways. Obviously, from things I've said. But you should know, we also have Republicans who would call themselves very conservative. We have progressive Democrats. We have independents who don't think there should be any government at all and all sorts of all kinds of different people. We have very wealthy people in our congregation. We have very poor people in our congregation, super diverse. And what brings us together is what should be the focus of every sermon I preach. And that is that Jesus said there's two things that really matter, that everything else hangs from. Love God with all that you are and love other people as yourself. And if that's what I'm preaching about, and I bring it back to that in some way every single Sunday, I am doing what I'm called to do. Because that's where the people who seem like they're so different, that's where they come together. At the foot of the cross with Jesus who loves them and who has shown them God's love and that they want to share with others. That's the place. So yeah, that for me is the bottom line. Oh, that's how beautiful. That's kind of the atmosphere of Avondale. Like that's, you might not be preaching exactly on that, but everything that you do, the atmosphere is of loving neighbor and loving God. And I just that's, uh, the, that's the mission in this church. Yeah. And I really feel it's important. And I'm so blessed to serve here and to serve with people who, you know, put up with my eccentricities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One Christmas we did, it was the 75th anniversary of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie. Remember that? Okay. And there was lots of publicity about it and stuff. And on Christmas Eve, I just made the announcement. I mean, th this church really is the island of misfit toys. Everybody's been <laughs> rejected here for some reason or another. And I am your queen. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm about the most misfit in the bunch. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, such a shock to be called as a pastor for someone like me. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it so well and have such a, I mean, from our conversation and, and you and I know each other, I just, I know the love that you have for people. Um, that's the, that just comes out of you, even in the conversation we've had today, just the, the, the love and the joy and the hope that you bring. It's just a gift. Uh, well, that is the blessing of my life. And I'm thankful to God for it. I really am. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk today. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your podcasts because they'll help me with my preaching too. Yeah. Well, I got, I got one more question for you. It's just a little speed question. Um, okay. What is one book that you've read in the last year that has been transformative, helped shape you? It can be preaching or leadership or anything, but what's one book that's really been meaningful for you? In the last it's year. one I come back to time and time again, and it's um, Henry Nouwen or Henri Nouwen, and um, <laughs> depending on where you live, um, and it's the um, it's got seeds in the title, but it's a selection of Henry's work 
from his life. And, you know, if you read The Wounded Healer, there's a very specific direction it's going, Christian leadership, very specific direction. But this is uh, this is his work as a whole. And his soul was so sweet and so dear. And I find such comfort in it that um, if I'm having a hard time, that's when I always go back to Beautiful. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact title. I'm terrible with titles and names. I really, we'll, am just we'll, awful. We'll put it. On, we'll put it in the the podcast notes or however we could do that. Um, Thank you. Just look it up on Amazon. Yeah. Henry Cowan Seeds, and you'll see, see it. Seeds is something. <laughs> yes. Or, or if you're listening, you can just go on Amazon yourself and say Seeds. Yeah, exactly. Henry Cowan Seeds. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> don't. Put... <laughs> well, Claire. Thank you again so much um, for sharing how you preach, how you prepare, and just just sharing your life and joy. Uh, oh, us. thank you, Will. And thanks for doing this. It's a real service to all of us. So thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs>